Hi, I'm Kevin Ayers, and this week on the FTBL podcast, we've got a double bill of Mariners coach Alan Stajic and Newcastle Jets coach Ernie Merrick. Welcome to the FTBL podcast. Thanks, Kev. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a big year for you. Probably a, a different big year than you were anticipating on New Year's Eve. Yeah, definitely. Uh, things haven't panned out or played out as I expected in 2019. And you know, probably didn't probably didn't expect to be sitting where I am at the moment. But uh, look, I'm in the last couple of months just loving football and love being back into full-time coaching day in, day out. So yeah, I'm really grateful for opportunity that the Mariners have given me and just love turning up to work every day and working with a, a group of blokes who are all determined to, to succeed and bring the club back up. I know you probably don't want to go into the mechanics of everything that happened back in January but on a personal level that must have put you on your back. Yeah I look like anyone who's gone through anything like that it's it's all a setback and you know I haven't seen anyone's journey in life or in football for that matter be a be a linear progression so you know you've, you've got to show some resilience and I always talk about that with players so I had to look at the mirror and you know jump back up on my feet and find a way to fight my way through through the tough times so you know as I've said a couple of times you know publicly I think both both the club and myself were in probably similar predicaments where we were at our lowest ebbs and you know I had to pick myself up personally and you know that's definitely the motto around the club trying to pick ourselves up from the front office to all the football staff to the playing group as well. Where did you draw that strength from to, to sort of uh, regroup? Yeah I'm not sure you just find it you know there's different mechanisms used I'm, I'm lucky I've got a great family support network and you know a strong a strong family unit who, who were there in the tough times and a good friendship network as well who that's vital I guess when you when you're in tough times like that so I can only be thankful and grateful to them as well. One of them uh, who was with standing beside you in the Matildas, I, I never know how to pronounce his name. Noel, Noel, Noel Arate, Noel. yeah. <laughs> um, he, you know, did the ultimate sacrifice of jacking in his job yeah. with the Matildas. As, yeah, as, a, did, a Paul, as did Paul Jones as well. Yeah. 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 It, it must be a hell of a thing when you see people like that, you know, Noel's just coming through as a coach. Yeah. To... Uh, potentially throw away his future and support off you like that? Yeah, look, I don't think he threw away his future, but he obviously showed a high level of loyalty and integrity and, and made a decision that he believed in, and, and Paul Jones was in the same boat. So, you know, Jonesy and I had lived the journey together for about 14 or 15 years with Matildas and young Matildas and, you know, great friendship. So, you know, both of them sacrificed the World Cup at the end of the day to... Yeah to show support and loyalty and I guess at the end of the day the most important one was you know a massive amount of integrity as well. No, no, is it it's alongside you here? Yeah, well, look he's an integral part of this group and um, you know he's 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 the backbone of our coaching staff. He he does so many hours, you know, behind the scenes, you know, analysing, putting together sessions. He's he's the meticulous planner and, you know, he's he's so thorough in his work and you know, he's a great contributor to, to everything we do on and off the field. So, again, I'm, I'm really thankful, not only to Noel, but we've got a great football staff here this year and a great support staff. So, you know, we're all pulling in the same direction and, and we know how tough the job is ahead of us. And, you know, it's a, it's a big mountain we have to climb, but, you know, the staff we've got here are certainly helping us climb that step day by day. What was the, the chain of events and how you ended up at Mariners? 
Oh, look, it was just, you know, it just happened to be that one night. I was sitting at home watching the Wellington game, and funnily enough, I'd, you know, I've been a close friend of Mike for 15 years as well, playing against him and, you know, being involved in Matildas, and he was with Queensland when I was with Enswiss, so I just happened to take even more of an interest in watching the Mariners, you know, in the last season. So I was just watching an, another game and hoping that they did really well just for, for his sake uh, against Wellington and saw it all sort of unravel that night and, you know, received the call the next day from Sean, who I'd maybe met once or twice in my life prior to that, and he asked if I'd be interested. So, you know, it was a opportune moment, but, <laughs> but as I said, I'm just extremely grateful to, to Mike Charlesworth and Sean that they had faith to call me in and to give me the job both short-term and now for a three-year term as well. When you were in that position, obviously, between jobs, was A-League the next step you saw for yourself at that time? No, I didn't see anything at that time, to be honest. <laughs> and, you know, I, I had the usual cliches from people around me, you know, when one door closes, another one opens, but, you know, you just don't see it at that time and, and you don't know where you're going to end up. And, you know, it was, a, it was a tough period for sure. So, again, I'm just extremely thankful and grateful that they gave me the opportunity and shown faith that, that I could do a job. And even though I've been coaching now for 20 years, 22 years, um, you know, I'm a rookie on the job in the A-League term, so, you know, I'm learning every day, and as I said, I'm loving it as well. Was the ultimate fear at that time between the jobs that you possibly might not get back into coaching again? Um, I looked that thought cross my mind at some point, but, you know, I just had such a massive involvement in the game for a long time, and like a lot of coaches... At, at those levels, you, you're doing more than one job. So having spent 10 or 15 years at, at the Hill Sports High School, you know, working with young boys and young girls who progress through to national teams and A-leagues and W-leagues and New South Wales Institute of Sport for 10 or 12 years and Sydney FC, W-league and, you know, always being around national teams. So I've, I've always had a great love for the game in our country and, and trying to help players progress and teams progress and our country progress. So, you know, it's, they were fleeting thoughts, but not, none that I really took seriously. With that transition from women's football to men's football, what are the, the actual differences you've found yeah, as I get, a coach? Yeah, I get asked that a lot, but for me, um, players apply. I think there's more things that are in common and there's more things that, that, I guess my standard answer is there's more things that make a player great and, and the team great than there are differences. You know, discipline, dedication, hard work, uh, you know, passion, you know, being good at your craft, knowing your craft technical, tactical, physical, they're all they're all common across, you know, all types of football, whether it's men's football, women's football, junior football, you know, all the things that make you good and make you improve and make you learn are common. So, you know, the individual differences from player to player can be seen from one men's team, from one A-league team to another, let alone from a W-league team to another. To a you know, there's so many variables that, that go into producing each team, let alone even Mariners from last year to this year is, is a whole new set of circumstances. So, you know, just putting it into that bland category of male versus female is too generic and too general, and I think any coach who does that will, will probably fall by the wayside. I think getting to know the environment and the players in that environment and the culture of that environment and what's going to make each player tick within that environment is is probably the art of coaching and you know one that I'm trying to learn every day and I think I think that's probably the most important thing for us as a coaching staff to get a grasp of quickly is how we can make each player here the best they can be. We were talking earlier that uh, it's virtually a whole new squad that you've got on your hands now. Yeah. Um, how is that? How are you finding bringing those players together and getting them to jail? Yeah, look, it's been great. They, they've got a new energy and brought brought in a, a new wave of enthusiasm uh, to the group. And, and I'm new as well to the group in a lot of respects. So you just bring that 
that newness and freshness, which which I think is important, especially at a club uh, that's probably been at the bottom for for four or five years. So just having having new people come in um, always brings in that that new new anticipation of, of the new environment. So. Yeah, they've been great. They're all hungry. They're all desperate um, to succeed, both on the individual level. They've all moved from different clubs, so they've obviously got a point to prove, um, you know, and, and in, from a personal point of view, but also we've got a massive point to prove from a team point of view. And, and you know, even even taking it to a bigger level, I think it's it's crucial that the Mariners do well for, for the community of football here on the coast, but also for the A-League to show that regional football can be successful and if the A-League wants to expand I think it's critical that clubs like the Mariners and Newcastle and Western United uh, you know in the Geelong area are, are successful so we can have a you know thriving A-League around the whole country. What are your priorities uh, in bringing the squad through? Yeah look we said we'd take every moment seriously in terms of friendlies right through to FFA Cup to A-League and would approach every moment the same and just trying to learn and improve and be at our possible peak I don't think we're a club who can afford to do many things wrong. Um, you know, there's possibly bigger clubs who can afford, you know, the odd error here or there or not be as efficient as they can be and still be able to be successful. Um, you know, at a small club where the resources are, are more finite, you have to make sure that you're efficient and effective with everything you do both on and off the field so, and, and do everything you possibly can to get the best out of every moment uh, both on and off the pitch again. So... You know, that's what we really focused on and, you know, every single player is pulling their weight, uh, every staff member is pulling their weight, everyone's doing more than what they did last year uh, to contribute to to a healthy and, and positive environment and, you know, ultimately we want to become a winning environment as well where winning becomes a habit and, you know, we've certainly moved along down that road but for me it's just one step at a time and, and you know, we've done well in the FFA Cup but for me still a long way to go before we're a successful, you know, winning environment that's consistent and sustainable over a lengthy period of time. What is the biggest challenge that you face at the Mariners that's, you know, might be unique to the Mariners? Yeah, look, I think the positives are the fact that we're a regional area. Um, you know, players all have to relocate here. You know, sometimes that can be the challenge. Um, but for me, it's a positive, the fact that, that everyone has to relocate and really focus on their football while they're here. And, you know, the Central Coast is such a, a beautiful area to live. You know, it's probably one of the nicest areas in, in all of Australia and probably the world to live in. So just ensuring that there's a full focus on football and, and you know, we're, we're as professional as we can be at all times, I think is critical. So I think that's possibly been one of the challenges, but for me it should be really the strength of this group. And probably when you look back to when Laurie and Arnie had this group, they really made sure that it was an advantage, the the collective team spirit, the the connection to the community, um, and ensuring that it's a real a real regional product that everyone can be proud of. So I think that's a, this should be a real strength of our team moving forward. And for the season ahead, what what would you consider a successful season? when we're having this conversation next year? Yeah, look, for me, I think it's critical that we we move into every match and, and believe that we're a genuine chance of winning that day, uh, not playing with fear, not fearing anyone, knowing that we can compete with, with everyone, regardless of whether it's a Sydney or Melbourne victory on paper or, you know, some of the other teams. So, you know, we play Adelaide in the semi-final next week and we know how well Adelaide have done in the past in the Cup and last year just missed out on on the grand final but you know I think we genuinely go in with a, with a strong 50-50 chance and knowing that we, if we play our best that we can win on the day which is you know a massive step so if we can keep that up throughout the whole year and know that regardless of who we're playing we can walk on the pitch and genuinely believe we can win that day I think that's a massive step forward. 
just looking back again over the the year gone by, do you have any regrets about the way that you handled yourself with any of that? No, not really. Uh, look, a lot of things are, are out of your control. I, I think I've always taken the same mentality and same philosophy to, to the game wherever I've gone, whether I've coached, as I said, at a sports high school or an institute program, development program, I've always wanted to find the best for that group and best for each individual in that group to be the best they can be and for that team to be the best they can be. So whether that was Matildas or Central Coast or, or a kids team, I've never really wavered from that. And, you know, regardless of whether people think I've made good decisions or bad decisions or, or team selections or whatever, you know, deep down in my heart, I just want to see football succeed and I want it to be the biggest sport in the country. And you now that will never change. And that's really at the core and and foundation of, of you know what I believe so I think you know in my heart I always know I've tried to do that and you know right from when I started with the Matildas our goal was to become one of the best teams in the world and you know by the time I, th- I finished I think we we're pretty close to being one of the best being the best that was the kind of um, disappointment I think for the general population that we didn't do better at the Women's World Cup yeah Oh, look, we're all disappointed. We all want to see the Matildas and Socceroos succeed. And, you know, I think everyone who, who's grown up in football in this country, we've always had that underdog mentality and, and wanting to beat, you know, the big guns and, you know, compete with the big guns around the world and show that we can stand on our own two feet. So I think that's, a, that's going to be a continuous battle for both the Matildas and the Socceroos moving forward, isn't it? It must have been really tough to watch, have to watch that on television. Last time we talked... Before all this happened, we were discussing where you were going to be training. <laughs> yeah, I oh, look. Uh, most of the plans were all put in place, so it was, it was good to see that most of those were executed. And you know, the the fact that women's football has now become so competitive is is you know really positive for for football and for women's football around the world. The fact that you know countries who probably didn't care about it so much in the past, like Spain and Italy, and you know, I just saw the, you know, Boca beat River Plate and there were 6,000 people in Argentina. You know, the fact that real footballing countries are now starting, you know, probably some of those Latino countries are starting to take women's football a little bit more seriously. It just shows how big the sport is getting so quickly and, you know, having big crowds in Spain, in, in Italy for club football, in England now, you know, the rise of Manchester City and Manchester United are in their Premier League now as well. Um, the Champions League for women, you know, and the international scene would just be a reflection of how much more investment and time and care has been put into the game. So look for, for looking forward to the future, I think it's only all positives for, for women's football around the world. But, you know, the fact that our players are already on the cusp of being the best players in the world really means that we can stamp our authority as a national team moving forward. And uh, it's ironic that given your background here, you are at the, the one club, one of the few clubs that doesn't have a W League team. Yeah, look, I've always pushed for a W League team, even when I had other hats on f- for this area. So now that I'm here, you know, there's, it's definitely something we should have. That club-based, uh, you know, principle is one that's important, I think, for football. The fact that, you know, we can have a W League team, an NYL team, women's teams should be the strength of our code. You know, we we nearly missed the boat in terms of competing with some of the other codes who are Johnny-come-latelys with their women's competitions and all that. We really didn't capitalise enough on the exposure and promotion of the W League when it first started in 2008. Um, so, you know, the fact that we now have to compete with cricket and union and league and, and rugby sevens and all these others, you know, it really is the strength of our sport and, and it should have really been an advantage, um, you know, that we should have driven home a few years back before they all started. 
Um, but certainly, you know, we all know the, the universal, universality of football, the fact that anyone can play any moment, and that, that'll always be the biggest advantage football has over all these other codes. You're going to be leading a push. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're not defined by women's football, but given your person, your, your position now, would you be leading a push to, to try and get the Mariners involved in W League? Oh, yeah, I think we should have a team, no doubt, yeah. 100%. There should be a W League team here. I think all the A-League teams should have one, and... You know, the more teams that have teams at a higher level, the better it's going to be. The more opportunity and access there is for more players to play, and that's just a simple fact for the A-League and the W-League. The more teams, the more players, the more coaches that have the opportunity to play at the highest level, the better our national teams will be one day as well. So who's going to be the stars for uh, the Mariners this season? Look, as, a, as we said, we've got a lot of new players in, so it's up to them to put their hand up. Uh, you know, what we've had so far is a good team competing for spots, and, you know, we're slowly starting to gel as well. Um, you know, so there's been a lot written about different individuals who've, who have come into the squad. So, look, I, they've got a lot to prove both on the personal level. So, you know, I don't really want to single people out, but there's definitely plenty of players who I think can be, be stars by the end of this year. And what's your playing style going to be? Uh, look, we've, you know, we've played a few games already and we, we've shown that, that there's a willingness to attack there and, and be entertaining as well while still trying to be fairly secure and solid at the back you know the fact that we've kept a couple of clean sheets you know which hasn't happened at the Mariners for, <laughs> for a couple of years just shows that we're going to be a hard team to beat as well but certainly you know I'm a big fan of attacking players and, and combination playing things like that so that's been a big focal point. Stability as well would be a great thing to have at the Mariners? Yeah definitely well, that's a, it's a key ingredient for all the big clubs around the world isn't it the more stable they are usually the more successful they are longer term. Excellent Look forward to the season. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you. But wait, don't switch off yet. We're not done yet. We've still got a chat with Ernie Merrick coming up and his views on the A-League and the Newcastle Jets season. Ernie Merrick, welcome to the FTBL podcast. Pleasure to be here. Um, I think I could be right in saying that you are now, even ignoring the victory in Phoenix stints, the longest-serving coach in the A-League. Already yeah. after just going into your third season. Yes, unfortunately, you've been stuck with me for a while. So <laughs> I can't remember how many games it is, but it's been great. Overall, um, you've been the, the Alec Ferguson of, uh, of the A-League. I wouldn't put myself on that sort of pedestal. It's been a pleasure to be around and to work with the teams that I've worked with. Um, victory was fantastic and we had some great success. I also enjoyed my time at Wellington, but uh, I knew when it was time to quit there. And then... Uh, um, Laurie gave me a chance to come up here to Newcastle and I jumped at it and in between I was the national coach of Hong Kong which was a real experience I can imagine, a whole different ball game The A-League itself, though you've been in there from the start has it developed the way that you thought it would? I guess it's like any business or entertainment entity um, you have your moments when things grow very quickly and then it sort of plateaus off. I thought the first eight years were tremendous and then we really needed to add an extra team. That's taken a while. I think the by adding the FFA Cup, that's been great. The number I think there's over 700 teams playing it now mm. and that's a wonderful thing. And now we've added yet another side from Melbourne, uh, Western United, and there'll be a team coming in from the outer suburbs of uh, Sydney next year. And to see the owners taking control of the league, similar to what happened in England with the Premier League, I think we're certainly heading in the right direction. And I think there'll be a rapid growth phase now. 
you are confident in the, that this is the, the way forward and that things are going to get better? I, I would say that it's, it's going to be in a real growth phase. Um, I like the people that are involved now, and uh, I think the FFA did a great job. Uh, mm. But uh, in order to grow, we've got to run our own clubs and our own competition. It's happened in just about every other country in the world as well, and it's the way forward. And uh, the FFA, no doubt, will be looking after grassroots football up to NPL level and uh, national teams and do a great job there. The uh, the breakaway has been led by some of the bigger teams, obviously, and the more the better funded, like City. Uh, do you think there's a danger that you know more modest clubs like Jets and Mariners might get left behind? No, I don't think so. I think uh, by raising the standard of the competition, you'll raise the standard of all the individual teams. And with Simon Pearce, I think being a key mover and shaker from Melbourne City and Man City. And uh, and Anthony De Pietro from Victory, I think these are the sort of guys that should be leading this change, and they're, they're doing it uh, exceptionally well. There was a bit of disagreement last week, though, with the uh, the pros- pros- prospect of an increased visa slot. Yeah, I've, I've been quoted many times on that now, and it was because I had an off-the-record conversation with someone uh, just talking about a range of things. What I, I was actually saying, and I'm glad you brought it up, was that the future is looking really bright, especially with the people in charge and the marketing that's going to be involved, and uh, and also ABC as well as Fox. So everything is looking really good, and I I did say that, you know, obviously the standard of refereeing's got to improve, and I talked about visa players as well. But whatever they do, I think they've got a right to make changes and uh, and have a look and see if it improves the game or not. And everything they're doing up until now has been first class. I think there is that. Um issue where you've got the, the, the interests of the, the game, the A-League, and the interests of Australian sport uh, or Australian football, and they're not necessarily going to increase, uh, they're not necessarily going to meet if we increase the visa numbers. Well, that's, that's to be expected in some ways, but in other ways, they're, they're making, allowing for more players, younger players, under 23 players on the bench, so instead of five players, there might be up to seven, maybe more. And so that's a plus. Plus, there's intention of improving the youth league. So rather than having a sort of mini league with only eight matches, the National Youth League will improve with the number of games they play. And I think the standards should improve. And I'd love to see them lifting the age a little bit higher than 20, as they did in English Premier League. The reserve teams are under 23s now, plus with some seniors. So I I think they've made a lot of good moves in those areas. That's the other... uh issue that's causing some ructions is whether there should be a reserve leagues or the the uh, the second tier of uh, what would probably be former NSL clubs. Or a combination of both with the teams that can afford it. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll leave that to the, to, to the owners to organise. As I say, I think everything they're doing is heading in the right direction. Obviously, you've uh, had an issue with Wes... Uh, yesterday, bad news about his injury. Yes, yes, he is such a good player and super fit, and to get that type of injury is very unfortunate. It, it wasn't a malicious tackle; it was just it was just a collision, really, and falling yeah. awkwardly. But he won't be available until January. But it, that's sort of right in the middle of the comp. That's when we'll need a bit of inspiration and a bit of someone new coming back in. And his ball position skills were fantastic. He really complimented Demi. So I think it's he'll still be a huge advantage to our club to have. On top of that, off the field, he's great with the younger players and giving advice. So it's not all is lost for the first half of the season, and he'll be back for the second half, hopefully in the lead-up into the finals and the finals. 
it must be frustrating from your point of view, though, to you know have the scouts and the agents and have all these discussions, find somebody who's perfect for the club, and then gets injured right in the eve. It's a frustration I think every coach goes through. You lose your best players. We, we lost a lot of players last year yep. to injury and, uh, and suspension in the case of Roy O'Donovan. And this year we've lost uh, Wes and we've lost Joey Champness to hip-hop music. <laughs> Which are, it's, it's new to me. It's all new to me. I'm hoping that Tay will come back and, and participate, but at the moment he's focused on his music and good luck to him. But we, we, we've developed and, and, and built a pretty good squad, and we brought in two scholarship players who came through our academy in, in Angus Thurgate and Pat Langlois. Jack Simmons trains with us on a regular basis, so we've got some good youngsters coming through as well. And when you do get injuries and suspensions, they get an opportunity. Um, in that chat that you had about um, a Wes yesterday in the, the transcript I read, you said that the, you think the finance is there possibly to find an injury replacement? Yeah, I think it was a little bit misquoted. It sounded like I was desperately out there looking for another player, but that's not the case. I think we've got enough players to cover Wes's loss. But as I try to point out extensively, <laughs> is that it's something you do 12 months of the year. You're always looking at possibilities. You're looking at inexpensive pickups who are either disillusioned with their club or have come back from overseas or have suddenly improved through the NPL like Matt Miller did before he went to the Mariners. So you're constantly on the lookout, but I think we'll manage without Wes for the first half of the season, but if someone comes along, we've got a space for them, we've got the finances for them. The last season there was talk that you know the, the finances were going to be a bit tight for the Jets because of the, the trade war that was going on with China and uh, America. How's that looking for this season? Are you still working to a tighter budget than you'd hoped? It is a tighter budget, but by the same token, we've just done so well with the money we have available, including the likes of Wes, Matt Miller, uh, Nick Fitzpatrick, um, Arroyo, the Panamanian international. So... It, that's a huge credit to Laurie McKenna and Joel Griffiths as well. Um, the three of us together, they put players in front of me. We have a chat about it. Um, you can do a lot of research on computer. You find out what the person's like, uh, character-wise. And I think we've put together a tremendous team. And we've played nine pre-season matches, three against local sides and six A-League teams. And results aren't always the most important thing in uh, pre-season because you've got to give three or four youngsters a run or try players in different positions but the, the quality of the performances have been very good we certainly haven't been thrashed by anyone and we've, we've won a few good ones especially the first game in the FFA Cup coming from 2-0 behind to beat victory 3-2 away from home and to me that was a very good indication of where we're at that would be a very particularly sweet uh victory for you. Mind you, they, they've put together some sides since then. <laughs> yes. we, we had players out, but they, they've now got a really high quality side and uh, and it's going to be a pleasure to play against them, actually. Who do you think are the side to beat this season? Oh, victory will always be there. Sydney, we played them on the weekend in double and it was nil all. It was a really good match, but Sydney's got a good side. Um, we've played Perth Glory in, in the Gold Coast along with Brisbane Roar and I think Perth Glory will be really good. So, those three teams will be in the finals in yeah. every game against them, especially when you go across the country to play in Perth. Bobby Burns will be amazed. It'll be like going from Scotland to the other end of Russia <laughs> to uh, to play a football match. But Tony Popovich has done a really good job. Yeah. Again, um, what though are your personal ambitions for the club for this season? 
We definitely want to finish in the finals, but not just scrape in. We want to be in the top four, really. Uh, preferably the top three, which the boys are aiming for. And once you're in the finals, anything can happen. As we know, it's not always the team that have had a great year. Sydney the year before, outstanding, beat everyone, hardly lost a game and lost in the in the lead-up to the grand, knocked out in the semis. And Perth Glory, outstanding year last year, and they lost in the final to Sydney. So it's about getting in the, the top three, really, to have a good chance of doing well in the finals, and that's a challenge for us all this year. Wes coming back potentially in January is going to be the converse of maybe what happened to you in your first season when you lost Naboo. Yes, I, I think that's the case. That's the way I look at it very positively. Wes is... He's just a great inspiration, motivator. He's, he sort of apologised to me for... Uh, getting injured and letting us down. I said, you didn't let us down, you've done a great job. Um, you just get fit and uh, get back in here and we'll need you at that time of year and he'll be a huge boost when he comes back. Do you think, uh, it, just casting back to that first season, do you think Naboot was losing Naboot was the turning point for that season? Um, I, I don't think you can really say that because we went into, we, we made the grand final. And we scored goals and won games after Andrew left. He is a good player to lose, but we got all the way into the grand final and really we lost by a goal that was offside. So uh, credit to the players how well they've played. Andrew's been a very good pick-up for victory, but we've got Arroyo now, and I have to say Nick Fitzgerald's looking really good. So we've got options up front that are almost, if not better, than Andrew. What was the story behind Arroyo? How did you come across him? Laurie's got these enormous range of contacts all over the world and uh, he came to me with a royal. We have software called Instat where we can look at any player playing any professional game in the world and see every single match he's virtually played in the last five years, every dribble, every shot at goal. So the software allows us to really have a good look at any player. And him being an international 30 or 40 times for his country and still only 25 and be very reasonably priced, very, very reasonably priced, he's not a marquee player, then it was just, uh, it was a lay down misere, as they say. It was a pretty easy choice to make, but Laurie sourced him. What was his motivation for coming to Newcastle? I think uh, he, he's played predominantly in Panama. Uh, I think he had a short stint, if I recall, in Costa Rica, and it was an opportunity to maybe break into Asia because South America is very tough to break into one of the big teams in Argentina or Brazil. But there are opportunities here in Asia, in the Middle East, in China, where he can maybe make enough money to look after his family for a longer period of time. So this might have been initially a stepping stone. All I know is that he thoroughly enjoys being in Australia, specifically Newcastle, and I hope he stays longer term with us. Wasn't playing with the main group today? No, he's, uh, he, he, he's got uh, muscle tightness on his hamstring. He put in such a big effort uh, against Sydney um, that his hamstring is very tight. I don't think he's torn anything. He's fine. As you saw him training, he did the warm-up, etc. Yeah. He'll be back in full training either tomorrow or Monday, um, but we're just making sure he's 100% rather than risk anything. We do that with all the players as tourists. Ben Kantorowski is very close to playing. Um, our goalkeeper, who's had a, a couple of injuries, uh, Glenn Moss, he's looking really good as well. So they're all coming good at the right time. He's going to have a full squad all ready to roll? I think uh, by the f- start of the season, we'll have a full squad, apart from maybe Wes, I think he'll be the only one missing. So we'll start off with a bang down at the Manors and the F3 Derby, which is, is a, a great way to start the competition. Excellent. Good luck in the season ahead. Thanks very much, Kevin. It's all over! What about that? Whoa. That's one of the strikes of the season. 
Oh, what a goal that is! Penalty! Penalty! Whoa!